Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. Um, We are a Bible-based church from Peterborough, Ontario, and together we are on a mission to reach people who are far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. At Pathway Church, we celebrate the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of each month, and this week, one of our elders, Greg Wilson, will look at what it is all about and how it applies to us today. Now, for those that are new to faith, this will help you understand what communion means. And for those who have been following Jesus for eons, this will be a time to pause and remember the meaning and practical application of some of the things that we do in the Christian faith. So with that, let's turn it over to Greg and his message, Passover to the Last Supper. So good morning, Pathway Church. Um, this is the first Sunday of July of 2021. And uh, we're going to at Pathway, we normally celebrate communion together, Lord's Supper, and so we're going to do that today. And uh, before we get started, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, we don't fully understand the extent of what you suffered, what you went through. We see the physical, but we don't understand the, the spiritual side of what went on. But we know the result, and you are victorious, and we just thank you for that, Lord. So as we study your word this morning, Lord, we just ask that you would open our eyes to see truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So at Pathway, as I said, we celebrate once a month the uh, emblems of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, and, uh, and what that means to us. Um, so what I want to do this morning, though, I really felt we need to go back and look at the grounding, look at the foundation, the, the truths of how we got to this. How we got to the Lord's Supper and what's the history behind it. So for those of you that have been with, uh, in the faith or with Pathway or in the faith of Jesus Christ for many, many years, uh, I hope this is more than just a review of details. And for those of you that are new to the faith uh, or those that are just checking out the faith in Jesus Christ, um, this... I hope brings real life to what goes on uh, in this this Last Supper or in this communion, as sometimes we call it. Either way, our prayer this morning is that God would show you individually something of life, something that you can take away and apply to your own life, something that is real meaning, not just head knowledge. And so to start this off, we're going to go through a real jump in history. We're going to cover about... 3,500 years. Um, And as we go along, I'm just going to touch on certain points uh, to to bring us up to this ceremony. Um, And along the way, there's so many things that God does, uh, some backstories that we're not going to have time to touch. Um, But God is so faithful, he can take something that looks bad, and with his purposes, he can take that, and mold something beautiful, and fulfill his purpose. And his purpose ultimately is to glorify God. Our purpose is to glorify God. But in God glorifying himself, he fulfills his promises to us, and gives us true life. So I want to take us way back to a man called Abraham. Now, Abraham, uh, God makes a promise to him that he's going to make a great nation from Abraham. Now, the miracle in that is Abraham gets older and doesn't have any children. And his wife gets older and doesn't have any children. 
But God performs miracles. And you can go back and read that in history of how Isaac came about and uh, the great nation that has been produced from that. Now, the other part of that promise, as God was going to make a great nation out of Abraham, the greatest part of that promise is out of that lineage would come a Messiah, someone that would impact not just the Hebrew people and save the Hebrew people, but would save the whole world. And uh, that's Jesus Christ. So, so we're going to quickly jump from Abraham, or we're going to catch a couple spots along the way, and we're going to get to this supper that, that Jesus uh, celebrated with his disciples. So we go along to, we got Abraham, then he had Isaac, then he had Jacob, and I'm not doing the whole genealogy to Jesus. But uh, we get to Jacob, and Jacob has a son. He has many sons, but the one son that he has is a man named Joseph. Now, he was one of the younger sons. And um, God had a real purpose in his life. Like he had purposes in everybody's life, but he had a special purpose for him. However, because of jealousy with the other brothers, and they got tired of hearing all that God was showing Joseph, that finally they decided, we got to get rid of this guy. So they decided to kill him. However, God intervenes, and one of the brothers doesn't agree with this. They throw him in a pit, and they sell him off to Egypt to some slave traders. So Joseph goes on down into Egypt. Now, Jacob, his dad, thinks that he's been killed by a wild animal. So Jacob figures he's gone. Joseph goes down into Egypt as a slave. And as many times, God takes something that looks pretty bad, and we don't know what he's going to do with this, and he turns it into something wonderful. And if you look at the history of Joseph, he goes through many challenges, but he ends up being the second in command of all of Egypt. And God, one of the things that God shows him is there's a famine coming into the land. And so how to prepare for that famine. And that's what one of the things that makes Joseph so great in the Egyptians' eyes. So anyways, Joseph is now in leadership. The famine hits the land. Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt because he hears there's food down there. So the story goes, he gets down there. Joseph and his brothers reunite. And Joseph forgives them and eventually brings the whole family, Jacob and the whole family, down into Egypt. And they eventually settle in part of Egypt, and they, they prosper, and they grow in numbers to become a nation. Now, along the time that they grow, of course, the Egyptian people start to enslave them. And it says in Exodus 20, uh, chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, it says, During those many days the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So eventually God hears the, uh, the trials that they're in. And he, at the right time, he sends a man named Moses. And again, there's a whole backstory to Moses. You can read about that and the miracles that go on there. So Moses goes down into Egypt, and he's to convince Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, to let the Israelites go. And God has a promise that he's going to take them out of Egypt, and he's going to take them to a new land that he's providing for them. And it's a great spot, a great land to, to get to. But, of course, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they don't, they're not necessarily keen on letting their workforce go. So they make the slavery even harder. And oppression comes on the, uh, the people of Israel. So 
God leads Moses to offer ten plagues, or ten miracles, ten plagues. Nasty things that are going to happen in trying to convince Pharaoh to let these people go. And what I want to focus on is the tenth and final plague. And it's the plague of the death of the firstborn. Now what happens is God told Moses that the destroyer is going to pass over the land of Egypt. And the firstborn of every family is going to pass away that night. Uh, And that affects their livestock as well. So, but he tells Moses to tell the people if they take an innocent lamb and kill it and take the blood and put on the doorpost and the lintel, and then there's other things that they have to do, stay inside, get prepared to travel, all this kind of stuff, then when the destroyer comes that night, God will see the obedience by the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, and he will cause the destroyer to pass over and not touch that family. And that's how we get the name Passover. So, of course, that happens. And uh, we find that we find that the people of Egypt, of course, they've seen these plagues come and go. And, and they thought, well, we survived those. And, and we really don't want to let these people go. So, so we, we don't believe it's going to happen. But it says in Exodus 12, verse 30, There was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. Now, can you imagine? Picture in your mind. You're in Egypt, and you've heard these people and this, this Moses say, Oh, there's, the firstborn's going to die this night. And, and then to add to that, he tells them, But if you kill this lamb and put blood on the doorpost, you'll be okay. So, of course, they, they don't believe him. But then what happens is they wake up in the morning and check on their firstborn, only to find them dead. Now, that's bad enough. If anybody's lost a child, it's, it's horrendous. It's undescribable. I don't, I, I've never experienced that, and I just can't imagine. But they've lost their first child. And their livestock, that's another issue. But they step out on the street and find out their neighbor, the same thing. The neighbor after that, same thing. Their brother, their sister, their extended family, same thing. And that's why there's such a cry in Egypt, in the whole land. There's been this plague that is hit. So obviously Pharaoh brings Moses in and says, take your people and leave. Now, you can read through the Old Testament, you can read the the traveling out of Egypt and and there's our whole story about Pharaoh changing his mind and all that kind of stuff and God delivering them and eventually getting them years later to the promised land. But I want us to to look at that, that event back at the Passover. And that starts... Uh, a celebration in Exodus twelve fourteen. He says, "This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever." So this starts the feast of the unleavened bread, and every year since then, and up to today, every year the Jewish people celebrate the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Now, it's, it's about, my understanding is it's about seven days long, and uh, it starts with the Passover Feast. So now I want to come forward about between 1,450 and 1,500 years. We've got the Passover event happening, and about 1,500 years later, we have Jesus in his ministry. It's come to the end of his ministry, uh, as history records. And... Um, 
In Mark 14, verse 12, he says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, his disciples said to Jesus, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? So, see, Jesus was a Jew, and he was celebrating the Passover every year as well. We find from history, from this event, that this is actually the last meal, or we call it the last supper, that he has with his disciples. And uh, many times when Jesus makes a statement or teaches something, he's misunderstood. Um, An example of that is in Luke 17, where the Pharisees come to him. Now, the Pharisees were a religious group, and they came to him and said, when will the kingdom of God come? Now, they understood the prophecies that said that there would be a Messiah come and they would set up a kingdom of God. And they understood it to be a physical kingdom. So remember, they're under the Roman rule uh, and the oppression that all that brought. And what they were looking for is the Messiah to be just like a King David, to set up the kingdom, to overcome the Romans, kick them out, and have their own land back again. That's what they were looking for. And even the disciples indicated that that's what they were looking for. But Jesus says in Luke 17, he says, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Again, they didn't get this. They didn't understand this. Even the disciples came to him one time and said in Matthew 13, 10, says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Why don't you just clearly speak the truth? But why are you giving these illustrations? Now, the beautiful thing is, and there's a lot of verses that talk about this, that as Jesus was crucified and died and rose again and then ascended, all these things came back to their remembrance, and they started to understand. They understood the things that when he says, tear this temple down, and in three three days I will rebuild it. And the Pharisees at the time said, or the religious group said, it took us 46 years to build this thing, and you're going to build it in three days? I don't think so. But he wasn't talking about the physical. He was talking about him. He was talking about the spiritual. So when we look at the Passover and what happened to Jesus in the final days, we can see an example given to the Hebrew people 1,500 years before of what salvation looked like. It would be an innocent lamb, his body broken, his blood poured out for the remission of sins, for the cancellation of sins. Now, in Hebrew life, in Israel's life, they sacrifice on a regular basis to cover sin. But this was the perfect sacrifice that they were looking forward to, which was Jesus. The perfect person, the perfect sacrifice given for the complete cancellation and elimination of sin. And that's for you and I. Now, we know what happened after the Last Supper. Uh, He sends Judas out. Judas goes out and betrays him. We understand from history that he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane and prays, and then then Judas brings the, uh, the leadership in, and they, they arrest him, and they take him before the Romans. And the Romans question him, and he doesn't, he doesn't give them any answers. Uh, and they, they resulting said, we don't find any fault in him. But they give under the pressure of the leadership of the, the Jews, and they break his body, and they crucify him, and they hang him on a cross, they spill his blood, and then he dies. But we know also three days later he rose again. Now, the whole reason for Jesus going through all this, we understand from Scripture, that he was the perfect sacrifice 
not just for those people at that time, but all the people before and all the people after, for you and I. That's what this sacrifice was for. Too often we look back at the supper, and we look at the bread, and we look at the, the wine, and we, we remember the event that happened. But it's much more than that. There's a theologian by the name of Robert Weber, and he wrote, and, and I, would like, I would like to be able to say what he wrote, the thoughts he wrote, but he, I can't do better than what he wrote, so I'm just going to read what he wrote. He says, right down to the present, Jews reenact the Passover event in celebration of the redemption from Egypt. In this service, words are connected with ritual, symbol, and gesture. It is a drama, a reenactment of the flight of Israel from the land of Pharaoh. It's not only a past event, but a present reality. For although the exodus happened in the past, its power and meaning reached down into history and changed the lives of people now, as did the original event. Reenactment of the action still has the power to change lives. The church has also retained the Old Testament principle that the event being celebrated becomes contemporaneous. The hard words, it means existing or occurring in the same period of time. Paul referred to the table, the table of the bread and the, and the wine, as a participation in Christ. It says this in 1 Corinthians 10.16. It is important to understand, though, that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not an event which we memorialize. Its power, like that of the Exodus, reaches down through history and becomes a present reality to the people who celebrate it in faith. I love Eugene Peterson in, in his paraphrase of the word, uh, uh, the message, sorry. I love the way he describes 1 Corinthians 10, 16. He says, I, I assume I'm addressing believers now who are mature. Draw your own conclusion. When we drink the cup of blessing, Aren't we taking into ourselves the blood, the very life of Christ? And isn't it the same with the loaf of bread we break and eat? Don't we take into ourselves the body, the very life of Christ? Because there is one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us. Rather, we become unified in him. We don't reduce Christ to what we are. He raises us to what he is. So there's two things that happen in this participation of the Lord's Supper. First of all, there is the sharing of the emblems and what they mean. And it reminds us of the sacrifice of Christ. Made for each one of us. Not a group of people in the past. Not for others, but for you individually. And by faith, we participate in that forgiveness and salvation. That's the first thing. The second thing is, it brings us into oneness with Christ and each other. Romans 12.5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. In history, as well as today, there is this idea that I really don't need other people. In fact, as we get older, and life experiences happen to us, I'm sure you have had a close friend or a loved one really disappoint you, maybe betray you, discourage you in some way. And as many times that can happen over the years, 
we just get discouraged with people, and we finally get to this point of pulling away and being off by ourselves. And out of that comes that whole ideology of, it's just Jesus and me. I, as a Christian, I, I don't need other people. I don't need church. It's just Jesus and me. Now, that's not nothing new. Uh, the pandemic has even added that fuel to the fire, where we haven't been able to gather. So we've, we've done the best we can through streaming, through whatever communication we can. And it's, it's made it very difficult. We haven't had that ability to gather together. However, by trying to keep in connection with each other and encouraging each other and praying for each other, that's how we stay connected. Now, it's not a new phenomenon in the New Testament that people pull away, or in our age, that people pull away and become isolated. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, there was many prophets that warned about that happening. Pulling away from other people, you eventually pull away from God. The book of Zephaniah is a warning. As a whole, when you read the book of Zephaniah, consider from the relationship basis of God and his people, and people within the nation. And the warning is, as hard as it gets, you need to pull together. You need to draw on God, but you need to draw on each other. That breakdown of relationship with God and the relationship with other people pulls us away from God himself. In Hebrews chapter 10, uh, yeah, chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day up drawing near. So we're to stir each other up in love and good works and not neglect the gathering of ourselves together, getting together in some way, shape, or form, however you can do that. Calling up that friend, calling up that that believer that has just been put on your heart. Or if you're in need, calling up that, that believer that's, I just need somebody to pray with. That's how we, we draw close to each other. God has it worked out that his relationship is just that. It's a relationship. It's with people, it's with each other, and it's with him. We live in a time where we see the absolute truths and principles of God being challenged, looked down on, and even being ridiculed. It is becoming harder and harder to stand up for Christ, and our freedom of our faith are being challenged and taken away. And Scripture warns us of this. It's, it's, it's not catching God off guard that this is going to happen. It's even becoming more vital that we obey Scripture in the area of gathering together and encouraging each other and meeting together for the Word of God and studying the Word of God, supporting each other. We need to fulfill Hebrews 10, 25. Now, Jesus knew what we'd be challenged with. Not only in his day, his disciples, but in our generation. In John chapter 17, Jesus has now left the Last Supper. He's out in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying for his disciples. Now, the beauty is he's not only praying for them. He's praying for you and I. And in John 17, he says, I'm not asking you, he's not asking the Father, to take them out of the world but that you keep them safe from the evil one. And later on he says, I am not praying only in their behalf, but also on behalf of those who believe in me 
through their testimony. That was for you. That was for me. Jesus was praying in the garden for you. Isn't that powerful? That's why this is not just a memory of an event. This is life. This is Jesus was praying that day for you. So 2,000 years have gone since that event. He prayed for us. And we don't have to be surprised or discouraged by the events that are happening around us. We need to be encouraged that Jesus knew and Jesus prepared. Better yet, he not only left us with the memory and the words, he says in John 14, verse 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Jesus not only prayed for us for the, to the Father about our situation, what it was going to be today, 2021. He also provided a helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with us, to comfort us, to teach us, to guide us. What do we do in these situations? We pray to the Holy Spirit that he would give us the wisdom. So in conclusion this morning, as we take part in the Lord's Supper, we're doing a couple of things. We're participating by faith in the breaking of his body and the pouring of his blood by sharing in the very life of Christ. We're becoming one also with Christ and with his body, the church. Who is you? Who is me? It is vital that we find ways to share in each other's life. Irregardless if we discourage each other, we disappoint each other. We're human. That's, that's, that's why Christ died for us, because of our sin, our failure. We need to look beyond that and look to what God sees in each one of us. Jesus knows today also what we're challenged with in our day. He knows the pandemic. It didn't take him by surprise. He knows the limitations we've had as a, as a group of believers. His Holy Spirit is still here, teaching and guiding each one of us. So our prayer today is draw on him today. And as you take these emblems, and you break the bread, and you take it, and you take the wine as his body, as his body and as his blood, and we participate by faith in that salvation and the forgiveness of sins. I just ask you to consider what is the Holy Spirit leading you to do today? Who is he leading you to touch, to reach out to? So if you've got your, your emblems, I'm just going to read these scriptures and then you take your time with him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often you, as you eat this bread 
and drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So go ahead and take the bread and take the cup. And remember and participate by faith. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. As I prayed before, we don't understand the full extent of what this supper means. But Lord, open our eyes to see that this is not just a once a month event, once a year, whatever the case may be. It's, it's an ongoing event. When we need you, we need real direction, Lord. We come back to this and realize we are participating in the life of Christ. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Hey, Greg, thank you so much for that amazing message. What a guy. Um, And thank you for listening to our podcast. Please make sure you keep up with us on the social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram. That's facebook.com forward slash pathway life. And Instagram is instagram.com forward slash pathway life church. And of course, you can just keep up with us on our website, pathwaylife.com. Have a great day and we will see you soon.